So happy to be back. This is Sherry Hauser, host of Pink Noise. Thanks, Cindy Ann, for hosting us here on Cafe Racer Radio every week. I'm delighted to bring you a conversation today that I had with Laura Ecklin, longtime friend and someone I've really gotten to know this past year since my trailer, the Glamingo, has been parked out in the Key Peninsula on my friend Linda's property. And Laura and her husband, Matt, they live right next door on 10 acres with their two young daughters who are five and nine. And they've decided to homeschool these girls and teach them what it's like to live off the land. So Laura, we're here to talk about parenting and alternative lifestyle. How you show up as a parent for your two amazing children and this way in which you're modeling a different way of living. And I believe in what I've witnessed is that it's giving them access to something that most children don't have access to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, maybe like the beginning for me would be the path that led us to the decisions that brought us where we are currently with our parenting and um, education of our children. Yeah. Um, I would say it started, um, my mom taught first and second grade in the public schools for about 30 years and then retired. And so I grew up in a household that was very public education oriented. That was the way it's done. You go to college, you go get a high paying job, house, car, family, and it was very linear that way. And so um, I was on that trajectory. I uh, went to, uh, did a little bit of college and then went to a technical college after high school. Um, Married Matt, we were married eight years, had our first child, then had our second child. We were living in a residential suburb, working our full-time jobs, looking at putting our kids, starting to look at putting Zienna in school. And um, when she, so just prior to that, when she was about two, we discovered um, permaculture and we went to permaculture convergence. But in doing that, it, it showed me also other ways of looking at parenting or educating my child in a more permaculture driven way. So that kind of was in there, that little seed. And so um, it started to resonate more and more with us as we got um, to looking for a preschool for Zienna. What do we want for education for our children? And we ended up in a Montessori nature school that was outdoor. Um, So there was no indoor facilities for this school except for a greenhouse. And then uh, it was also Spanish immersion. So they had a teacher that only spoke Spanish to the children as well. It's also about natural toys. Um, It's about observing the child and seeing what you know, where they're at with their ability to absorb information. Uh, It's a holistic approach to education. So, uh, you know, it's just, it it seemed more in alignment with our values as wanting to be more holistic people. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, The school had some rocky moments to it. it. It just started in Pierce County and there was some regulation around, for example, they had a composting toilet that they had to get rid of because it wasn't legal to have a composting toilet at the outdoor nature school in Pierce County. So they had to bring in a porta potty. And then also um, I think that they didn't have the school all the way secure. And so there was some mishaps there. And and anyway, it questioned our, like, maybe this isn't the school to keep, you know, um, both of our children here um, because there was a child that had gotten out of the school and a neighbor had found them in the street. So it kind of made us think, oh, you know, what what could we do besides this? And um, at the time we had sold our house, moved into our camper, and parked it at my parents' house. And so my mom, who's retired, really wanted Zienna to go to public school. And uh, I think Matt and I wanted her to actually experience public school too, just because it's, a, it's an experience, not necessarily because it was the right educational path. And she did. And um, we could, 
you know, it was a really good thing because it made us all look at what is public education, what does it offer, and how is it right or wrong for our family. And um, the thing that we noticed uh, when we sold our home, we did it to get out of all of our debt and buy land and move off grid. And part of that was not working as much. Um, I feel like we live in a culture where we work way too much. It's unacceptable. And so um, we put her in public school and she was in public school more than I worked and more than Matt worked and more than Amma was ever in school. And it just was kind of heartbreaking. She was gone all the time. And then she would come home with just piles of paperwork and it just seemed flawed in that way. Why is my child just consumed with all this paperwork? She's gone five days a week from seven to three. She eats dinner, goes to bed. It just didn't feel like she had a life. <laughs> I felt like we were robbing her childhood from her. So we um, pulled her out of school. And uh, then that began a process of us going into a new realm of homeschool and unschooling. Unschooling. Yeah. Did you, did you make that up? Nope. <laughs> no, uh, unschooling just refers to, um, <laughs> so in a public school, you have a curriculum. It's guidelines that we're going to follow an educational path for your child with curriculum material. And in homeschooling, you're also probably following some sort of curriculum. I think that we're, we're really uh, brainwashed to think that we need this curriculum or we're not going to learn. And um, unschooling says that you don't really need a curriculum. You, we're just innate learners. We're as an, as an organism, as a creature. And so we need to trust that um, if we kind of can get the curriculum stuff out of the way, we can clear, we can have this like unknown universe to explore and there's so much more freedom for expression for the child and for me to see you know what they what they can pursue what they really like uh Zienna likes music she wants to play music all the time I don't have a curriculum where she has to sit down and do you know division workbook pages she can just do music um I will though get into situations with her where we might be buying something at the store and then all of a sudden she needs those math skills so she's starting to recognize on her own just interacting with the world around us that these are things these are skills that are necessary to have and that creates the drive so there's no curriculum mm. so the using the world's using the experiences in your environment as the opportunity to be the teacher. And from there she can, it'll pique her curiosity and she can go on her own exploration of how to solve that problem and what information she might wanna gather so that next time she's in that situation, she'll have better information to make a choice. I mean, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Exactly. I, I sort of see you nodding yep. your head in agreement. That's and exactly right. It's, you know, I feel like uh, I'm a little bit sad because I live in a culture where we're just indoctrinated into this like factory mentality. Mom and dad are their worker bees. They just go to their job five to nine. The kids just go to the public education institution five to nine. And I feel like we're being robbed of our lives. And the thing that people tell me about, you know, I have friends with kids in public school, of course, and and my mom being a public education teacher. And I know that there's a lot of wonderful people in those institutions. Um, so, but the, the problem for me is more or less that um, we are creating a culture where we are just working our lives away and we're not really getting a choice to live unless, <clears throat> you know, we, <laughs> Is it, is it, do you decide to not have a job and then you live in like your car and then you, you know, how does, how do we undo, how do we walk away from institutional, just workforce and educational style? And, um, and so there, I feel like some of the pressure is, you know, she'll be behind 
And so it feels like it's a race, like she's competing for grades or competing for a job in the future. So we're gearing them for that. She'll fall behind. Um, she won't have anybody else to play with. All the kids are there, you know, but if there's, if there's hundreds of kids running around on a playground and they're only being supervised by a couple adults, or if there's 20 plus kids in a classroom and they're only being supervised by one adult and they're, you know, doling out, this is the activities, this is the information, here's the map, here's the, how to, you know, draw a cursive A and, and you're doing this paperwork and stuff, but are they, are you really, uh, is the child actually being supervised? And I feel like it leaves a lot of space for kind of that Lord of the Flies mentality. I remember being in junior high and be meeting the bad kids and let's go have a ciggy behind the, the gym. And I don't think I would have ever met those kids or befriended them because my parents wouldn't have approved. And, um, in a homeschooling situation or unschooling, you discover a whole new community of people that are out there that, because when you're in a public education setting, you don't, you don't know those families until you go to a, a different reality with it. And there are other children and there are other parents and there are other ways so for me, if we really want to address the issues of our culture, the damage we're creating, we cannot solve it by just doing the same thing over with our, with our children. I mean, that's the human race coming up. It's a, the baby human race. And how can I better position my children to be really innovative, creative thinkers all on their own? And... Um, and how do I um, put them in a situation where they're always in nature? How do I teach them about native plants and how to wild forage? And, and looking at some of these things that we used to do when we lived more in our natural state in a more holistic way. And so if I can't get that in a public school, then that is one of the fundamental problems so I, ha I have to homeschool my kids to give them these really enriching, amazing things. It's so good. It's so good, this commitment that you and Matt have made. And I'm so impressed when I've, when I've been out to your property and watched your girls interact, interact with the animals that you have on your land, interact with your plants in your greenhouse, feed your goats. And this this whole property, these 10 acres, you know, are their playground. And I'm even watching the interaction with the neighbors and the people that I know who are your friends next door. And, and they get to experience, you know, all kinds of different people in different situations and conversations. And I feel that's so, that's so rich. In a way, they're around adults in a way that I think most children wouldn't be in the traditional going to school and coming home. So the adults that they encounter are their teacher or their parents. And then when friends get to go over to another friend's after school and maybe get to the age where they might have a sleepover, then they know their parents, their, their friend's parent, right? But, but I see it, it's different at your property. Like adults are gathered and they're having conversations and they're being real they're 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 being their genuine authentic selves and they're having whatever conversation they're having and your kids are around that experience and so and and they're interacting with them in ways that it doesn't feel like there's a hierarchy it doesn't feel like i'm the adult and so i know what's best like your children have taught me things i've actually <laughs> learned from them well, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's something else that I want to touch on that, uh, uh, and I'm not going to talk about permaculture here, but I, I am going to mention it because in the permaculture course that I took, there's a, a section where we talk about decolonization. And, um, you know, we, I think there needs to be a recognition and awareness that we're living on indigenous people's stolen land 
And to decolonize means to acknowledge that. And then how do we, how do we remedy that? And so something that um, unschooling or even your parenting style can talk about and, and what came up in this permaculture course was that colonization starts in the family home structure because parents rule the house and the kids do, do as I say. And so right there, you're creating that structure. And that's why we mimic it in our other um, institutional, organizational, uh, the way that we construct our reality as humans. It's like, there's a boss and then there's people below or there's a president and there's people below and there's CEO. And so it mimics that. And so in the decolonization process, we wanna look at that and say, how do we create equanimity and if you could start in the home and you make your children an integral part of your circle. So there is no pyramid. It's this round circle where everybody gets a say. And um, so that's a tough one because I'm still, you know, uh, I'm a 42 year old adult and you know, my five year old, we definitely, <laughs> have moments where I can't let her have the say because, you know, um, like, for example, no, you can't, you know, poop in the middle of the yard. Can you please, you know, poop in the composting toilet? <laughs> but, you know, at least inspire them and then give reasons why, well, someone could step in it. It's that's, you know, why we contain it in this area. Um, but certainly not being an enforcer and, uh, and then, you know, sometimes I end up with poop in the yard. <laughs> so one of the side effects of decolonization of your family structure, <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's such a, a wonderful gift because it instills equanimity in the child's mind. And so we can start creating, um, we can start changing our own human race um, into in, inviting in those concepts of being secular and, um, and then um, see how that unfolds and, and we can maybe then start really tackling real issues as a culture. Yeah, yeah. And it's so rare for a parent to actually adopt the philosophy of there is no hierarchy here. And there's times where I'm gonna know what's best and I'm gonna present that, that, that argument, that storyline, like I'm gonna outline, lay out the facts for you, child, to see why it is that we're gonna do something this way. But them believing that they also have agency at five yeah. It's pretty freaking <laughs> remarkable. When I hear the word equanimity, we talk about it in the practices of authentic relating is that's the juicy middle space between dignity and humility. And on, on the opposite ends of that, if you're in too much dignity, you can move into posturing, you know, where that's like more the uh -huh. stance and the, and the bravado, right? You're, you're no longer um, being genuine. You're like putting on airs, you know, you've gone too far. And in your humility, when you're showing up as the student and you're learning something, if you fall too far down the ladder, you can go into collapse. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not enough. I'm stupid. What, what am I doing here? You know, that's like a collapsed kind of mentality. And, and the practice of authentic relating has a goal of keeping everyone in equanimity, the stance between dignity and humility. And what was so rich is being open to this practice and I received so many lessons like one really big one that I shared in a previous episode so I won't say it again but just it's so beautiful like always learning you know always yeah. learning so even in my role as mentor it was beautiful to be open to receiving lessons from my mentees like one woman was 26 and I received from her like it, and, you know, it, by the time the week it ended, we, we were doing an appreciation circle and we pretty much all had tears on our faces, just sharing the beautiful things that we learned and appreciated about the other. 
Um, it was very rich and rewarding. And I just love that you're doing this as parents with your, with your young children. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, they grow up to be the future. I mean, they are our future leaders. And what are we doing to prepare them? In a conversation I had uh, recently, we were talking about with Jeff Lazowitz in the last episode about creativity and unleashing creativity. And what does that take? What does it take to be open to innovation, like you said, right? To exploring all, all ways, well, expressing yourself. Absolutely. And something I also just want to touch on as well as being creative is that um, what's happening in the public school and what's happening in our environment and the way that our culture and our world is changing, our world's changing very fast right now. And I don't know if everybody feels that way. I certainly do. And I, I question whether or not it, if we do not take more radical approaches to raising children, if they will even be ready with the skills necessary for the future that's coming at them. And uh, so part of my thinking, part of my logic there, I don't consider myself a prepper but I do consider myself a realist and a person that wants to be um, sustainable or creating abundance in my environment and also um, supporting a healthy environment. And for me, that would mean that my child would have to spend a lot of time in nature and learn nature and learn plants and learn animals and learn about how those systems all work together because those ecosystems are collapsing right now. And if you are in a classroom inside a building under fluorescent lighting, I don't think you're going to get that same, uh, you know, meatiness. And you're certainly not going to get it running around on the playground. Uh, so you need to start with the education process being outside. And, and it also makes me question, why isn't this more important? Why is learning about native plant species not more important in, in, an, in a primary education um, place? Because, you know, you might I get that option in a high school, like a horticulture class, but, you know, it's, it, it's the world around us. It's the world that sustains us. It's literally the most important thing. So I got, I got goosebumps when you were saying that. And uh, I, I was on a hike this past weekend with, uh, with my partner and, and we were here outside of Seattle, just St. Edwards Park, just to name it. And as we were walking through these forest trails, he mentioned to me some kind of plant that he recognized and said, you know, those roots are medicinal. And I was like, well, really? Like, I, there's no way I would have known that. You know, I'm, I'm 50 and I, I have no idea about medicinal plants. It was just really, really eye-opening. All of the things that can grow native in our region and what we're not paying attention to. And I remember saying to Kevin, uh, like, I want to sign up for a class. I, I want to learn about medicinal herbs and, and local species. It does seem crazy to me to be at this age and to not know what can heal me that, that, it, that I can grow. Well, I, I love that you're saying this because I feel like even, even joining, so we joined a, a homeschool group called Moon Snail Forest School out here in the Key Peninsula area where we live now. And we left our homeschool group that we had um, after the Chavitos Nature School in Tacoma. And so we go on nature walks and it's so interesting because it is a group of adults trying to learn all like the native plants in our environment and what we can eat and what we can't. And I think that we're all a little surprised and, and it's, and it's a little heartbreaking that how little we know. And so um, I am starting to do more wild mushroom foraging and, um, and then we also have a botanist in our group. So it's, been really wonderful to share our knowledge with the children and each other and um, and going through this process though just like probably you on the walk you start to recognize how how little we really do know about 
the plants we can eat around us or are they medicinal or um, how, what, how can they be used or how were they used maybe by the indigenous people that were here? And that is a huge one for me. And so also a major reason to homeschool my children. Uh, I also wanted them to know how to use um, tools uh, like a lighter or a knife. And that is kind of controversial. I don't know how many people out there are teaching their five-year-old how to cut vegetables with a knife or how to use a fire, a lighter to, to build a fire. And, um, but I feel like those are really important skills for my kids to know. And also I, I am in love with the idea that my kids know how to go out and pick mushrooms and pick plants from the wild and eat them. And they know the variety and they know how to, te to test to make sure it's the correct variety or, you know, look at the leaf or you look at the gill or you break apart the mushroom and it turns a certain color or has a certain odor to indicate whether it's um, safe for consumption. And they're not, I mean, I just can't imagine them living any other way. Uh, I don't want to rob a childhood from them. I want them to explore, but I want them to know um, these very important things about the nature around us and really connect to it. Uh, and the other thing that I wanted to just touch on quickly as well is that in the public school, I feel like we're not being, uh, we're, we're not on a path or trajectory to really come out and just be these really successful humans. Uh, for example, I don't feel like I was ever taught compound interest in public school. However, that is something that is a huge factor in my life. You know, if I have a land and we still have um, a payment on our land here, so there is still an interest rate that we're dealing with and um, and to understand what interest rates are. And it's, it's shocking to me to meet adults that don't understand compound interest, but it's also very sad. And I think it's a telltale sign too that we're really not being taught in public schools that the real skills that you really need to know to A, navigate the, the society that we're currently in, which is an economic capitalist society. And then two, to navigate the natural world or know the names of the plants or know what's po poisonous or not poisonous. And so um, those were, and then also, you know, the, the Siggy behind the gym was my other reason, like, you know, to <laughs> school the kids. And, um, but boy, those are just, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it, it, as you move through this, with your children, if you are able to, um, for, for our family, we just chose to live with a lot less. We just don't have a lot of income. Matt just works right now. I was working part-time nights until COVID happened. And then now I'm just stepping away from the workforce. Uh, so we, you know, but the other beautiful thing that's happened is I get to be with my kids. I get to watch them grow up. I, I get to witness their lives. And so when I'm at the end of my life, I was there for them growing up. I didn't just go with the status quo. Whew. Hallelujah to that. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, yeah. Yeah. Family. You engagement. really got to think about it. Yeah. You got to, well, you got to think about what the purpose of your life is. What do you, what do you hear? Sacrificing what you that time with do? your children if you're going away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they're going to school and you're going off to your job and then you wake up one day and they're a teenager, how does that feel to our, how does, what is that doing to the heart of our culture? What do you think the, the factors are? that prevent more people from making the choices that you and Matt made? Uh, I would say, number one, it's the idea that, that it, to keep this capitalist economy rolling, that we need to be purchasers, we need to be consumers, and we need to have large incomes to match that. So you got 
to have this keeping up with the Joneses mentality going on in the society to drive people into these jobs where they're working 40 plus hours a week. And then if they choose to reproduce or they do reproduce and they have to still go to that 40 hour plus work week job to maintain that 2000 square foot home and the cars and whatever else, you know, gadgets or vacations or boats or, you know, uh, to do that, then you've got to either have your child in go to go somewhere while you're, you know, at your, um, at your job and, and people send them to public school and then they usually go to daycare or something like that. A majority of my friends that work 40 plus hours a week, that's exactly how it goes down. Yeah. And then they spend, sometimes they have a family day every week, like, oh, Sunday we see each other as a family. Yikes. Yeah. Heartbreaking. What I, what I think I get about you now from hearing more of this story and feeling your passion around it, and I'm going to make a bit of an assumption, so uh, uh, let me check this out with you. What I get is that it feels like when you chose to have children, that you and Matt made it your responsibility to put them first. And in, and in doing that, you, you took your own like ego or whatever success meant in the society that you live in, whatever equals success. If success is like having a good enough job that you buy a house to buy stuff and things, as you've talked about the consumeristic mentality. And in putting your children first, you're saying, what gifts can I give them? How can I show them how to be in the world? And so you're, you're making that your focus. And so your success exactly. is derived by their preparedness to live their best life. And, and you know, what, one of the greatest thrills I have in, in, being invited to produce this radio show um, for Cindy Ann on Cafe Racer Radio is, is to bring on people who are following the thread of aliveness in their life. You know, and to really talk about what it is that your life is about and why is your life about that. And so in this time that we've spent together beyond the years that we've known each other socially, I'm really seeing like with such punctuation, this priority of preparing your children for a better life and there's so much to learn that isn't you know who fought a war in 1612 to conquer what land like i think about history and it's not that our ancestors aren't important and how the world became the world because it is but with the i learned what i learned in school just to pass the test i didn't learn it because i was deeply curious about it it didn't stay with me. I just learned it to pass the test. And where is it now? Poof, it's all gone. Right. So, so did you really learn or did you just get really good at memorization? Because I got really good at memorization too. Short-term memory, you lock it in there for a sec. You fill out the bubbles. You're not really learning. And what I feel like I'm seeing through COVID is people are now with their kids and they're recognizing that they have not spent a lot of time around their kids and it's a struggle as a family. And I, I just don't have that struggle because I want to be with my children. I love them so much. I can't imagine. I'm sure there's other mothers when that child turns five and you're supposed to send them off on a bus to full-time kindergarten school. And there's something inside you saying, this feels wrong. They're so little. They should just be playing with their toys and spending time with me. This just doesn't feel right. And why aren't we listening to that voice inside that's telling you? Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, I know I had that voice so little at five. And so it's just disappointing that we're not listening to our instinctual heart in that way. Mm. 
I really feel that. I feel so tender hearing that, like I just put my hands on my own heart. And I think, why don't we trust our intuition more? Why is it that, that we let the pattern of generations dictate what's right for me now? You know, people have to be willing to break out of that cycle to trust their gut and say, there's a different way. And I'm, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to risk to try a different way and to see how it feels. And, and that's what it takes. I mean, that is the choice that people make when they are in a relationship that isn't serving their highest and best good. They have to choose to leave it. They have to choose to leave the thing they know to be in the unknown. You have to be willing to walk away and risk a different thing. But in order to be that person, where does that muscle come from? That trust muscle. Like you have to have some kind you of- You have to trust muscle. fall. You have to trust fall. Yeah. Well, if you could imagine your life, if it's, if you're driving off to a cubicle and you're dropping your baby off with another adult and a ton of kids you don't know to get an education, you're just trusting and you're in your cubicle doing whatever you need to do just so you can put food on the table or have that roof over your head. That is the wake up call. Does that resonate with you in your heart? Does it feel, does it, feel like you're doing the right thing for you and your child does it feel good and i bet you um i bet you people would say no i bet you they would say if you're on the camping trip that sunday that one sunday you got to be together as a family and you were in the woods and you were together maybe collecting leaves or something fun or watching your child discover a worm under a rock and you're with them and they're with you and you're hugging each other and you know that feels right that feels right why can't it be like that every day why can you only have that sundays and then monday through friday you you, you have to you know i almost i feel like it's contrived is some are these what are these forces that have created this in our society well we have to pay for our stolen land Right. We got to pay rent <laughs> yeah, right. for our stolen land. And then we have yeah. to pay for energy from corrupt monopolies that like hijack energy because, you know, God forbid we have solar panels or wind energy or access to the natural world that can produce the energy that we, that we need to run the electronics that we like to use. And so there's this system that is, that is, it's all built, you know, to support this model. Right. And, 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 and there's some and there's force behind it. There and is. It's not with our best interest. No. So no, it's, cap wake up to that. it's capitalistic greed, yeah. right? Like, like what, were, what were they selling in the 50s to live in the nuclear home? Like have your own house, your own fence, your own stuff right? Your own lawnmower, your own tools, your own washer dryer, like be self-contained, be independent, don't need anything from anyone else. So buy one of everything, maybe even have two of everything. So you have a backup. And I'm looking at cooperative communities and I'm thinking, I want a shared tool shed. The way the Finney Neighborhood Center in, um, in Seattle, there's a neighborhood that I used to run an art gallery in, and the residents of that neighborhood had access to a tool library. And I thought, yeah, you know, I don't need to have a bandsaw and a, and a drill gun. And like, why do I need to have all these tools myself, right? When I'm going to do a project, I go check out the tool at the tool library. Brilliant. Right, we can have a shared art space, a creator make space, shared gardens. You know, there's a, there was a webinar I went to last year through some wonderful people, No Way and Harmony, that run a, a organization called Worth the Journey. And it's for solo entrepreneurs who are conscious minded. And one of these webinars um, invited a guest speaker from a neighborhood in another city in another state in America who had systematically created this entire city block of properties that were all 
cooperatively purchase. And then they took down the fences of the backyards. And then you collectively had this massive plot of land. And then they divided it up into the playgrounds for the children and the gardening and the workshops and the tools and did exactly this. They created their own nuclear community within a city. I've got friends in Renton. Hi, Alan and Cheryl, if you're listening, um, who have, have started to pay attention to the homes going up for sale around them. And they're inviting their friends and making it work and creating this community where friends live beside friends and share time and resources and things. And I, I love this trend. Like, I love it. Well, that's how, that's how I met you, because uh, our friend bought land next door to me. <laughs> I know. That's how I know you. I'm yeah. so glad for that. Yeah. Yes, the intention behind collectively being in a group of people, and you're all like a family unit, right? With the one lawnmower you know yeah i feel like that's very edward bernays how do we create consumers out of thin air how do we get people to buy stuff they just don't need you know and 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 it you do you have to have this selfish where i'm not sharing this keeping up with the joneses you have to have products that break that frequently need to be replaced or just buy have a create a desire for products that you just do not need and that's the big one. I, I've even heard um, statistics that if women all stopped buying um, like beauty products, that it could cause an economic collapse. That's how dependent we are on things that we do not need. So, uh, but waking up to the system, homeschooling, reducing your need. And, and it almost goes hand in hand. If you can reduce your need for the income completely, just live with less. Then you free up your life. You're trading your life for stuff. You're trading your time with your kid for stuff. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Knock it off. <laughs> oh, I went, I went through such a process of w selling the house um, earlier this year and moving on to a small houseboat. And it's really not small. It's actually a very large houseboat, but it's half the size of my house, the house I bought with my ex-husband. And getting rid of my things because my things were stories. They were attachments to memories and places and artists and flea markets and garage sales and stories of trips and events all tied into these things and leaving half of them behind. You know, it was a Herculean effort at the time, but I, the sense of freedom now, and I, I want more, like I want less, like I want more of needing less. <laughs> And, and when you talk about beauty products, you know, there's this theory I've had for some time, like what would happen, especially for women, if from the neck down, all the hair that our body grew was perfect, just as it was, but we shaved our heads and think about the products that we wouldn't need if we were all bald, it says the woman <laughs> with pink hair, right? who dyes her hair. It's a long time for me to, I, uh, I love getting, I mean, I, I'm a stilt walker sometimes in my life and I have a costume, a variety of costumes and makeup and, and it's very fun. It's so fun to play that way. Um, but I slowly embraced a different lifestyle as I moved off grid and we started this intentional community and we live in a tiny home and and I just felt like I wanted to present in my authentic self. So um, to start getting out of that comfort zone, I, so uh, just to rewind a little bit in, in the subject of homeschooling, unschooling, in looking for community, it brought us to the YMCA. And the YMCA has been a really wonderful support for homeschool families, especially out here in Gig Harbor. Um, they have amazing programs. Um, they can do PE and swim during the day, um, during the weekdays. It's maybe two or three days a week. 
And, but that's where the other homeschool kids are and they're all their parents are there too. And it's so cool for me because I'm standing, you know, um, you can stay and watch your kids or you can go work out. So I sometimes like to stay and there's other parents staying and I'm, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. And now I've just connected with another person in, in another homeschool situation similar to mine. Um, and, and, and that's just been so cool. Uh, so, but, um, so, so I decided to stop shaving my armpits and my legs or even my, I call them jazz hands, the hair coming down your thighs, you know, from, from your, from your bathing suit area. Uh -huh. And, um, the first time I did, it was so nerve wracking, um, because I felt like I was getting all the stares because I'm just, I'm this super hairy gal at the, uh, at the public pool or somewhat public, I guess you have to maybe be a member to go or, uh, anyway. Um, but the more I did it, the more I would show off my, just my, my authentic body, you know, I'm not doing anything to alter it at all. And it gets more liberating. And then I feel like I also can inspire other people to just, uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't care if you have hairy armpits, obviously I I'm embracing mine. And so maybe that if someone's staring at me and they're saying, Oh, I don't like the way that looks or, Oh, look at that. And maybe there is somebody out there that says that person is helping take away fear for me to present that way. And it's so strange that there is a fear. It, I liked to get in touch with that psychologically. Why am I afraid to show off my body hair? Why does it feel like I want to cover up? You know, and that's how deep that psychological uh, reality has gotten to us that women, adult grown women are presenting like children if you're shaving off all your body hair. Because I promise you, there's a very small percentage of women on this planet that actually don't grow hair. Maybe it's an alopecia situation. Maybe it's an ethnicity situation. But I, but I guarantee that pretty much all mature adult women have some form of body hair. And, and I love it. I want to see more of it. I know that kind of got off on the, got away from the education there. But I, I feel like I also set a good example for the kids too. That's exactly right. I was going to say, you didn't get off track at all. Like bringing your, your authentic self to this conversation is exactly my request. And so being vulnerable enough to admit the areas of your life that, you know, most people wouldn't talk about their body hair and being willing to just say, Hey, I'm showing up as my body is, is a perfect example for your children. And if it makes other people uncomfortable, well, that's for them to work out, right? Why does that make them yep. uncomfortable that you're showing your natural organic body? I think they're uncomfortable because they wouldn't do it. Why? Because they have fear. So what are they actually uncomfortable about? They're uncomfortable that they can't face the fact that they're altering themselves to somehow fit in, be more acceptable or receive more love and attention from whoever they want love and attention from, because this is the way you do it. Right. We, we and I love that it starts a dialogue for people. Yeah. Right there, you know, um, and, and it liberates me. Maybe it liberates them too. Uh, in any event, I just want, I just have a deep desire to be my unaltered self. And I do not want to get hung up on whether I'm accepted or not accepted because of my visual appearance. Um, I, I think that it is, a, I, I don't feel like it resonates with me at all to have any concern about what where people's what their opinions are of my appearance i just uh a long time ago i think there's a real like anarchist part of me that's like i just don't give a crap what you think about how i look and if you know why are we so caught up on that it just it almost upsets me because it takes away from you being able to really get into the real internal who that person is and their personality and the and the beautiful human that they are, you know, has nothing to do with how you look. Mm, that's so well said. 
I got a bit of a reality shock um, with the participants in Europe who maybe traditionally I'm going to make a big generalization, but based on the individuals who showed up for this training, a lot of them um, were very natural in their appearance. No makeup, no jewelry. Um, their clothing palette was a, was a natural color tones of beiges and browns and off-whites, like actual fabric colors, you know, organic materials. And I come in with my pink hair and my glitter nails and my jewelry and my bright, bright colors. And what I learned later after people got to know my heart was that they created judgments about me and about my superficiality or that wondering what this was a mask, what I was trying to hide. And once they got to you know, know me and know my heart, they, they saw that it was a genuine form of my desire to be fully self-expressed. And they better understood that, um, that for me, this is part of my art in the world and of, of, yes, just taking the, the rainbow that I feel inside of me and expressing it through my appearance. But it also gave me pause. Like I got in touch with my why and I got really clear and I gave myself you know, permission to continue that it's not a mask. I'm not hiding. I'm very open. My emotions are on my sleeve. I, I am who I am and I, and I present as authentically as possible. And for the first time in my life, I got feedback that it was a barrier for connection at first impression. And I never would have imagined that my bright exterior would be a barrier for connection. And that gave me pause. And so when we hear you talk about your authentic self being organic and natural as you are, because you want people to connect with you and not some other layer. Well, I, I feel like I see the layer in a different way than you do. Um, my self-expression, I, I, I'm also an artist. I do, I host paint and sips and I paint and I love to create that way. I'm not my own palette. However, I was watching some YouTube videos about people that are saying what you're saying. And that's just a different way that I don't see it where um, I am the, the canvas and I wear the bright clothes and bright hair so that when people look at me, they smile and they enjoy what they're seeing. I'm the canvas. And, and I feel like when I'm still walking or doing other things, I do play that way. And I, I become a canvas, um, maybe temporarily. Um, but in my day to day, I, I enjoy um, just like, I don't know if you can see my eyebrows. I just, you know, I felt like I started letting all the hair grow everywhere. And I had been removing it all. And, and I do feel that there's a, for me anyway, I can't speak for others, uh, that um, plucking my eyebrows out and putting on makeup to cover, like I had some acne when I was younger. And um, because I wanted to be, like you were saying, accepted. So visually, I was trying to fit a mold, a theoretical mold of what is an acceptable way to look in my culture. And part of that involved like removing, using a razor blade to scrape away all the hair from my body that just wants to grow there. And I would say like the hardest one is the, uh, is the pubic hair coming down my thighs from my, from my bikini. That was the, the one that even though I felt like, okay, with this hair and this hair, and maybe even this hair, but that hair still, I just felt like I couldn't show it for what, you know, ever reason. Um, and I, and, but it was for me, just something that I wanted to overcome. I wanted to get into a space where I felt comfortable just as I am not doing anything to alter myself at all. And so that I could just be comfortable with that person. And that was something I was doing for myself. And I think it's something you're doing for your daughters. 
when they when, oh yes when they yeah. see mom without her clothes on and they're going you know they love you admire you and respect you and this is you and it gives them permission to be them um and so they're going to grow up not having any body shame around wherever hair grows like imagine that imagine being so young and receiving that message that there's never going to be a day where like if if either of them ever does choose to shave any part of their body they will do so knowing that there's a choice that they're making a conscious choice where i remember growing up and it's like mom mom how soon can i shave i want to be like because that was the only way to be I felt the pressure growing up to look like the magazine people, mm. to be skinny, to be pretty, to have makeup on. And um, I just, I want to, I don't want to have my kids experience that pressure, even though I, I know they probably will because it's so saturated into my culture. I want to take it from a place of feeling like I need to fit in to a place of this is a choice and I'm beautiful no matter what. Amen to that. I'm so glad you are here modeling this for your daughters so that we can have more, more future leaders in the world believing that however they are is perfect. Any, anything that we haven't touched on, Laura, that you were hoping to speak to in this conversation? I bet that there's a lot of people out there, especially with COVID, that are really taking a hard look at our education system. And I just wanted to, to wrap it up with that. If you really want to, you can make it happen. You can make homeschooling happen. Um, you just need to commit to being, spending that time with your kids. Um, and I think that it would be helpful to get out of the mentality or pressure that you have to follow a curriculum. I have a five-year-old and now a nine-year-old and we continue forward. And so now the nine-year-old is talking about what she's going to be when she grows up. And so that's a wonderful thing because that question can be answered in a lot of different ways, but what it does is it allows the space for learning about what does it take to become a vet and how do you get into veterinarian school and what tests would you have to take to qualify to get into that school? How much does it cost and how much money will you make a year and what kind of home would you be able to afford to buy? And, and, and all that became curriculum for that day. Uh, so I'm not, ruling out oh you homeschool you unschool and then you know good luck making it out there of course we all know that ultimately um you you must provide for yourself in some way and so whether that is that she decides to become a veterinarian or not but i do want her to be able to navigate our society i do want her to be able to study for a ged uh, if that's the cho choice that she makes. I do want to be able to help her build her own home out here on our community and continue to be a community member out here and sharing in the tasks if that's what she chooses. So um, I don't want to get trapped in that idea that you go off to college and good luck. I hope you make it out there. I, I feel like it makes way more sense to hear kids, here's five acres that you can just have, or maybe the whole 10, maybe we, we end up putting it in the land trust like we talked about, we're just stewards out here. And oh, here's your tiny home and here's our tiny home and here's our tool shed and here's our community garden. And so you have a support system, you have a roof over your head, you have food and you have the things that you need to continue to go on and be a successful human being. So you have that foundation that you can work off of. Now I can go to veterinarian school or whatever that looks like. But I just want people to know if they really commit and they really love their kids and they wanna spend this time with them, don't get so caught up on curriculum, find a way to make homeschooling work but boy, the joy and the satisfaction it's brought to my life is just amazing. And it's so beautiful. And I just love watching them 
and being with them and living life how I feel like it's supposed to be lived. Thanks for sharing your love, your heart, your parenting style. It's beautiful. Thanks for calling me and giving me this opportunity to share. Sherry, I love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome.